I'm not sure about this group so much. The last time I taught this class, it was to the home builders who are a little younger on average. <laughs> um, but I shouldn't stereotype because my mother-in-law is much more tech savvy than I am. And I do tech for a living, so. But the internet has put almost limitless information at our fingertips. And I don't know where you fall in the spectrum of uh, being online uh, at all, but I've been with people many times and somebody will say, I wonder. And the first thing that pops up are people's phones because we don't have to wonder anymore. We can just pull up our phones and type in a few keywords and we'll have uh, whatever information uh, that we need. But because of that access to information, um, I'm always on the internet looking for um, a video on how to, how to install stair nose uh, this, is, this is by this week's searches. Um, how to change the block heater on a 1969 or 1996 Ford F250 with a 7.3 liter diesel engine. You can be very specific on these searches, people. How to change, change the power cord on a Porter Cable 352 VS belt sander. It's there, it's amazing. And then I can always also look on the internet and say, how do I find a laptop? How do I find a barber? I just did that this morning. How do I find archery equipment or golf equipment, a place to eat? Those are things that I can search for and find very readily. But you could say that we are defined by our searches. If you looked at my searches, you'd say, hmm, he's probably an archery hunter, or he's at least, at very least, likes to shoot a bow. He owns a 1996 F-250. So you can assume, you can infer a lot from my searches. And so my question to us tonight is, what would your data trail say about you? Where does the search you're on lead? Because in addition to the things on how to, how to that I search for, things that are fairly straightforward, there's also a lot of a very, very dark side to the information that you can find on the internet. So where, where does your search lead you? What you're searching for and chasing after can reveal a God that is winning the war in your hearts. And think about your heart as the battleground for the gods. And whatever God wins, the, wins that war claims the throne of your heart. And since I can't, nor do I want to, uh, be able to uh, check your search history, I think it's a, a good thing for us to do to examine our heart and determine where our allegiance lies and where our glory goes. In Proverbs 4, 30, 23, it says, Above all else, guard your heart, for everything you do flows from it. Your heart defines and determines who you are how you think, what you do, because everything flows from it. And that's why our hearts are the front lines in the, in the gods at war. In the Hebrew mind, it wasn't only the blood, but also their personality, your motives, your emotions, your will, all flowed from what they called the heart. An example of the Hebrew idea is found in Proverbs 27, 19, it says, as water reflects the face, 
so one's life reflects the heart. So the heart is the truth of our identity, and that's why the gods fight so fiercely for every inch of it. Imagine, if you will, you're walking through the woods and you hear a night, the, the, the running of water and you think, oh, that sounds so nice. I think I'll go over and uh, sit down and meditate by the stream for a bit. So you walk over and when you get there, it's just covered with trash. And, you're, and it just makes you a little upset. It would make me upset. I'm, I like to have a clean, the clean forest when I'm there. Um, and so you decide, I'm going to clean this up. So you, you clean up the, the debris that's in the water, and it's even got a scum on top of it that you just can't hardly stand. And so you, you put in the work. It takes hours. You clean up the, that little spot, and you think, it's going to take several days of this. So you come back the next day, and it's like everything you'd done had been undone. And the, the trash had just filled in everything you'd taken up. And so you realize there's got to be something bigger than what I'm seeing. And so you go upstream and you find that, that it's a dump. People have been dumping for years there. And it's just coming down into the creek. And what you had done was just getting filled in with stuff coming from upstream. And as you think about that, all the work you do cleaning up downstream is not touching where it's coming from and that's where I want to look at a little bit using that analogy of our hearts and how much effort we put into garbage removal and yet we don't put a whole lot of effort into looking for the source and cleaning up the source so if I say to you I've got a gambling addiction what would, your, what would you recommend for me to do? That's easy. Why didn't I think of that? <laughs> okay, Gamblers Anonymous. Get counseling. Say, so I've got an anger problem. What do I need to do? Take a deep breath and count to ten. Or 20. How long, however how long it takes. My marriage is in trouble. What do I do? Do I, set up a, do I set up some date nights for my wife? Do I buy her a gift? I'm covered up in debt. What do I do? There you go. That's what a lot of people do. <laughs> so I cut up my credit cards. That's, that's how I get out of debt, right? Yeah. My weight is out of control. How, what do I do? See, Don's got all the answers right here. I'm not sure why I'm up here. <laughs> Most of the things that go through our minds when we're talking about this is garbage removal. It's not going to the source and saying, okay, I've got a gambling problem. What, what's at the source of that? Because as long as I can do garbage removal, I feel like I'm making progress towards becoming a better person. But that's not where the issue lies, right? So what, what do I do if I've got the gambling problem? If I go to counseling, maybe I can find out, right? It all comes down to what's happening in my heart. And that's why Jesus puts so much emphasis on our hearts. And he wasn't quick to reward good behavior if the heart wasn't right. Because in Matthew 15, 8, Jesus quoted Isaiah regarding the religious leaders of his day. He says, these people honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. 
And isn't that what we do many times with the problems that we come up against? We, we kind of honor them with our lips. We say, stop. Do better. When all, all along it's, it's our heart that's wrong. So, if I have a gambling problem, what, what can I look at? Is, am I, is the God that's controlling my life a God of money? Is it a God of power? Is it a God of just me? What, what is it that I'm searching for that I have this problem? If my marriage is a mess, what God's at war in my heart could be causing those issues in my marriage? God of self is probably a big one. It's always easier to clean up garbage than it is to go to the source and figure out what's going on and what to do about it. But if we, can, if we can determine which God is winning the war in our lives, then that gives us an opportunity then to throw that God down and worship the Lord God. Later in the same chapter of Matthew 15, that, where Jesus uh, just talked about honoring with their lips, but their hearts are far from him, he says in 15, or excuse me, 15, 17 through 19, he says, Don't you see that whatever enters the mouth goes into the stomach and then out of the body? But the things that come out of a person's mouth come from the heart, and these defile them. For out of the heart come evil thoughts, murder, adultery, sexual immorality, theft, false testimony, slander. And so often we want to focus on what's on the outside, but Jesus makes the point that it's all about what's on the inside. The heart is the battleground for the gods because everything flows from it. So I want us to talk about some questions here, and hopefully that'll help us get to the the heart of some of the issues, uh, some of the gods that rule our lives. The first question is, what disappoints you? What disappoints you? Your kids aren't doing as well as you thought they should, so you're kind of disappointed. Your job's not where you want it to be, so, yeah, not where I want to be right now. Not making enough money. Okay. Disappoint you. What do you complain about the most? (laughs) yeah (laughs) what do you make financial sacrifices for aren't these things I mean when you think about these things aren't they things that can become gods in our life what worries you Think about these in context of what, what, what has that much power over us that we worry about. This one was kind of tough. Where is your sanctuary? Where do you go when things are tough? Go get a tub of Rocky Road and sit down and feel so good. What infuriates you? And what are your dreams? As you think about those questions, those are the kind of things that if we answer God, that's, that's what he wants to be for us. He wants to be our sanctuary when things aren't going well. He wants to be where we sacrifice our time and our money. He wants to be where we dream, what we want to be like, where we want to be with him. 
And I, I hope most of us could answer in the affirmative on those at some level. But that's not always the case. And with a group this big, I'm sure that we all have things that we're like, ouch, that hurts. I wish I could have answered that question a little differently. So because the battleground of the gods is our heart, we're getting ready to jump into what... Um, why that's such a big deal why idolatry is a big deal because you think eh, why, why is that why, why is such a big deal made of idolatry you're putting something else before God exactly we're going to find out that God is jealous and he doesn't like that So any comments on the battlegrounds that you face? I, I realize this isn't the kind of class you're going to jump up and say, oh, oh, <laughs> here's my problem. <laughs> Eddie? Those, those questions you ask, I felt like my COVID experience caused me to self-evaluate with questions like that. I felt like COVID... COVID story in my life and how I reacted made me wonder, okay, what, you know, where's my trust? Where do I place my confidence? Where's my stability? Uh, what did, uh, did COVID threaten some of our gods? And uh, what, what is, where's my source of peace? Where do I find a source of contentment and joy? What level, where's my hope? COVID really was a test for many of us. I don't think COVID necessarily caused things in us, but revealed things in us. Right. And uh, it revealed where God is in our life and what our, some of our gods are, I think, based upon our, our reactions. It, it was really, it really made, it has been making me, especially the early days, stop and think. Thinking about this war in the Ukraine with Russia, my mind goes down the track of this may not be stay isolated to Russia and the Ukraine. And with the cyber attacks, what could happen in an instant with all my funds that are in retirement and in the bank that are basically nothing more than numbers on a screen? It seems. Right. <laughs> uh, how does that make me feel? And uh, I think there's some really real stuff going on that really test who's our Lord and where God is. Right. Uh, that's. I mean, it's a good point you make. And how, how many here? Hopefully, this isn't a a question you you feel uncomfortable answering. But how many of you think that that you like comfort? You like to know what's going on, right? And what, what happens when we go through something like COVID or a war that interrupts that comfort? And so, that, so it causes us sometimes to, to reevaluate maybe where we've been and what we're getting, what we anticipate going through. So I think there is a God of comfort that can distract us. And as long as we're comfortable and everything status quo why change i'm comfortable right but when we think about comfort jesus wasn't very comfortable when he was sacrificing himself for us right and so when we we think of worshiping the god of comfort that doesn't lead us to where jesus is was Jesus ever comfortable? Probably not long term. He probably enjoyed his meal with his disciples, those kind of things. <laughs> but yeah, I mean, it's, I think that's a good, uh, good thing to think about because Jesus recognized and lived out the fact that he's in this world, but he's not of this world. And I think that's, that's something that's, that's difficult for us. 
most of the time because we we are in the world but we're a little more of it than I think we would like to be many times. God doesn't call us preachers. Nope, he does not. I don't recall seeing that anywhere, but if you come up with a chapter, let me know. <laughs> okay, so jumping back in here to Exodus 20, we're getting back to the, the Ten Commandments. Um, first... Uh, the second, third, and fourth verses of Exodus 20. I am the Lord your God who brought you out of Egypt, out of the land of slavery. You shall have no other gods before me. You shall not make for yourself an image in the form of anything in heaven above or on the earth beneath or in the waters below. You shall not bow down to them or worship them. For I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God punishing the children for the sin of the parents to the third and fourth generation of those who hate me, but showing love to a thousand generations of those who love me and keep my commandments. What reason would God have to be jealous? Doesn't everything already belong to him? Is there anything that competes with his power or his glory or his greatness? Of course not. Not in reality, anyway. So why would God be jealous? What would he have to be jealous about? Someone just recently shared with me, and I never thought about it, that jealousy is the fear of being replaced. Okay. Jealousy is the fear of being replaced. Jackie? I think sin. Sin has replaced God in so many ways that um, we can't accept God's grace, whatever we need our Satan, I guess, you know, Satan has turned us away. Okay, so sin has turned us away from God. That's why God is jealous. Right. Something instead of God. Making stupid stuff more important than him, and then you don't give him the high Right. It's like the, the dog drinking out of the toilet saying, life doesn't get any better than this, and God is there with living water ready to give it to us, and we're settling for a cheap substitute. He blesses us with everything in the world, and it's there for to becoming obsessed with things and forgetting God. Bob? I was thinking that uh, God is jealous because just like a father loves their children, God loves each of us as a child. created being, his created being. How would you feel as a father of your children, even though they're young and they still need you to feed them and care for them, they just turn their back on you. So, so the jealousy is the jealousy of, a, of God as father uh, seeing his kids turn away from him. Okay? Richard. I can't remember if you already mentioned it in the book, but God doesn't want to be the first place God. He wants to be the only place God. Right. And I like the way the book illustrates the, the guy who had, was trying to please two different friends who had opposing sports teams. So he had half of his closet with this sports team and half of his closet with the other sports team. Right. And so his friend came in and saw that other sports team thing and was like, hey, wait a minute. I thought we were... <laughs> yep. Yeah, God doesn't want to share the closet with somebody else. He wants the closet to himself. Skip? You know, one of my favorite uh, scriptures is Psalm 139. And it's it's a psalmist talking about 
presence of God is always with us and how he made us. But if you just turn that around, instead of speaking from my point of view, if you spoke from God's point of view, God was saying, I formed you. I formed your inward parts. I knit you together in your mother's womb. My frame, your frame was not hidden from me when I made you in the secret place. And I, I saw your unformed substance. In other words, just to put it in God's point of view, I think about him expressing himself that way. And that's why he's jealous. <laughs> right. I mean, to think that when I look at that, and, and David says, how precious to me are those thoughts. When I think about that, how precious it must have been for God to have that in his mind as he formed each one of us. Right. And, and I think that's kind of getting us to where, where I think the book is talking about that, I mean, there, there's nothing that can compare to God. I mean, he is it. He's all of it. But in our hearts, there's competition for him. Because we, like I said before, we, set, we settle for substitute, cheap substitutes instead of, instead of him. And God's jealous for our hearts, not because he's petty or insecure, but because he loves us. The reason God has such a huge problem with idolatry that his love for us is all-consuming, and he loves us too much to share. I mean, if you look at, I mean, Bob gave an example of a father to his children, but if you look at the context of marriage, if your wife is having an affair and you're not jealous, are you really committed to that relationship? Nope. If, if, you, if you come into a restaurant and I'm sitting there with some lady other than Jana having an intimate dinner and you say something, and you say, oh, they say, what about Jana? I say, oh, I love her too. <laughs> Is that the way it works? I can, I can assure you that that's not the way it works. <laughs> And, and that's, I mean, God sees us that same way, that he wants all of us to himself. He loves us too much to share. I want to read a little excerpt from the book. I don't know who this is. Paul Copan, a philosophy professor at Palm Beach Atlantic University, asked this question. When can jealousy be a good thing? He describes God's deep passion for our wholehearted devotion. People, he's, no, wait, I'm ahead of People, he says, are like the dog who drinks out of the toilet. So I already said this. It doesn't get any better than this. We could be enjoying the living water that only Christ can offer, yet we choose substitutes that are shockingly, disgustingly inferior. God knows what he has in mind for us, and it grieves him to see the choices we make in ignorance. It makes him jealous in the most righteous and loving way. We should be amazed that the creator of the universe would so deeply connect himself to human beings that he would open himself up to sorrow and anguish in the face of human rejection and betrayal. Think about that. How could God love us that much when he is the sovereign of all things? He's not just sovereign of a country. He's sovereign of everything. And yet he loves us to such a degree that it, it pains him when we don't choose him. These are the things that he, the, the author says, I hope you, as you read this book, you think about these things. Because here's what will happen. As we walk through the temples of the modern gods in these pages, You'll recognize the ones that are at war in your life, and God will speak. 
He'll challenge you with two words. You choose. You choose between me and money. You choose between me and your career. You choose between me and that relationship. You choose between me and the house. If you keep watch over your own heart, you'll face those dichotomy moments, these fork-in-the-road moments. He won't give you the option of making him one of many. There is no room there for anyone or anything but himself. That's how much he loves you. I don't think that we can understand the seriousness of idolatry without understanding the jealousy of God. And we can't understand the jealousy of God without some understanding of his relentless, powerful love for us because the two are intertwined. When you think about Christianity or or before that Judaism what is so special about those belief systems there's one God and what's special about that God he loves us and he is chasing after us he wants us what other religion has a God that loves people and, and wants them to love him, chases after them. I mean, I, I honestly don't know a whole lot about other religions, but when you think of Islam, is their God a God that loves people? I mean, not that I can tell. He's a God that is vengeful and war, warlike. Um, I don't know, Buddha. What's he? I don't know. Is he chase after people I don't think so but if you think of the other religions of this world Christianity and Judaism are unique because they have a God that loves people and chases after them and when you look at the Old Testament it's a story of God's people rebelling and it's I mean it is a serial rebellion it's one um, it's one idol after another I mean God offers the children of Israel a special relationship with him I mean, he calls them his people and how quickly when they come out of Egypt how quickly do they go back to following something else I mean they've <laughs> they've got this pillar of cloud by day and a pillar of fire by night that's over them all the time and while they're under that pillar they're building a golden calf I mean it seems crazy to us right we would never do something that silly would we we do we see the blessings that God gives us and we turn and worship a cheap substitute we see how great God is but boy I need that 401k for my retirement if that money goes away what will I do I'll have to trust in God right I could be crude like out to all of Josie Wales and say, birds got to eat same as worms. <laughs> but but this, the story, Richard, go ahead. Well, that's the challenge that I find is if I want to be safe against cyber attacks, I need to learn how to be safe against cyber attacks and protect myself and stuff like that. If I want to provide for my family if I die, I need to do research on investing, life insurance, whatever else, so that she's taken care of after I die. Otherwise, it's just, yeah, I don't have to worry about it. She'll figure it out herself. <coughs> you determine where that, my word, balance on all this stuff. Okay, so if, if, you're, if your portfolio is your God, 
how easily is that God destroyed? No, out of no fault of your own, the market drops. We have a war, currency collapses. I mean, who knows what can happen? But if our God is that portfolio and what we're trusting in, I mean, I'm not saying we shouldn't take precautions. I mean, like when we talked earlier about some of the trash removal stuff, I mean, diets aren't bad if I'm overweight, uh, but that's not the problem. There's something in my heart that's the problem that I need to work on. Uh, Buying my wife gifts, that's not a bad thing. I mean, that would be good. But if we're having marriage problems, that's that's not the issue. I mean, I can buy... I can buy hundreds of gifts and my heart not change and nothing changes. So if, if my hope and my trust and my comfort is in my portfolio and making sure that your wife is taken care of when you're not here, that stuff goes away easily. God is the only thing that's going to last forever. Sorry, Jeanette. you're going to have to rely on God (laughs) the story of the prodigal son is one that is um, it's comforting and it's convicting at the same time because you've got a God that loves us so much that we come to him and say I wish you were dead give me my money that's essentially what the prodigal said right I want my inheritance, which means I wish you were dead. And he goes out and he spends it all doing things that the father would not have approved of, I'm sure. And he realizes what shape he's in. He repents and he comes back. And what does, God, what does the father do? He's watching for him. And when he sees him, what does he do? He doesn't turn back to the house and do anything. He runs. And when you look at the culture that that was written in, the patriarch doesn't run. I mean, that would be a shameful thing for the patriarch to run. But God runs to his son. And that's the kind of God we serve. And so, when we turn to our portfolios, we'll go, we'll go through some tomorrow food. When we turn to food as a source of comfort, that takes God off the throne of our heart. When we turn to sex, it takes God off the throne of our heart. When we turn to romance, or when we turn to money, or we turn to power, or portfolios, or whatever it might be, It takes God off the throne of our hearts, and that's what idolatry is. We talked about this a little last week, but I want to go back to Joshua 24. He says, Now fear the Lord and serve him with all faithfulness. Throw away the gods your ancestors worshipped beyond the Euphrates and in Egypt and serve the Lord. But if serving the Lord seems undesirable to you, then choose for yourselves this day whom you will serve. Whether the gods your ancestors served beyond the Euphrates or the gods of the Amorites in whose land you are living. But as for me and my household, we will serve the Lord. And we talked a couple weeks ago about that in length, how that... um, we can serve the gods that, where we came from, the gods of our fathers, but they don't, they're a hollow imitation to the Lord God. And that's who Joshua chooses to serve. So, let's identify some idols. We've talked about before that we're all wired for worship. Because when you read Joshua, or you can just worship nothing at all, was not an option. It was, it was something. So, since we're wired for worship, 
what are some indications of the God that we're worshiping? Okay, what, what I choose to do for a living. Can that be a God? How I choose to manage my money. What I choose to watch on t- TV. The fact that I watch TV, maybe. The people I choose to have as friends. The websites I choose to visit. The clothes I choose to wear. The way I choose to spend my day off. Ouch. The food I choose to eat. What I choose to think about. All these choices reveal my God of choice. So instead of asking you what God you're worshiping, let me ask you what choices you're making. Consider carefully what your choices are. What gods would you identify as the gods of culture? What gods would you identify as the gods of our culture? Pardon? Gods of self? That's probably in every culture, isn't it? (laughs) These are kind of hard to identify sometimes because we're so close to them that we might not even think they're gods at all. And I think one that I talked about earlier that probably hit me the hardest was the god of comfort. I mean, I want to be comfortable. Because if I'm comfortable, then I don't have to change, right? Keith? Yeah, I think uh, we humans have a wrong concept of, uh, of God. We believe and we become baptized, and that's the end of our service. You know, it's comfort now. I can put my feet up and relax. I'm saying. Right. And that's the beginning of service, is when we become in Christ, Christians. That's when we begin serving. When we're not serving, it's comfort. But we should be active in our service. And if we're active doing those things, then comfort and other gods disappear. Right. And, and that, uh, kind of after we finish what's in this book, that's kind of where I want to go with this because when you look in, in Scripture at, um, like in James, what, what is pure religion? It's taking care of widows and orphans, right? And Right, and so you, and then you look at Matthew twenty-five, and what does God say to those? I mean, to those that did the right thing, what was it? You saw me hungry, and you fed me. Thirsty, you gave me a drink. And I think that if we, if we're so tied up in idolatry and worshiping our things and our stuff, then that stuff is too dear to me to dare share it with somebody else that's in need. Because it's mine. But if I've let go of the idol of my stuff, then it's no big deal to share it with others that need it. And I think that's, I think that's an important part of where we're going with this. It's hard to put devils or, or evil things out if we don't replace them with something. That's how they'll go away. Right. And we have to learn to do that. If we allow those things to come in, or that they're probably living in our lives now, the only way to get rid of them—I mean, you can't throw them out the door, you can't flush them down the toilet, or, or anything else—you've got to put something there in, in service to the one that bought us. Right. So, so just to say I'm putting away the idols and doing nothing with it is not even possible, for one thing. That worship, that adoration of the idol has to be replaced with worship and adoration of the one true God. And if it, because like I said, we are hardwired to worship. So, so not worshiping anything is not an option. Right? 
we got to get into the minutiae of the book now. <laughs> We've just kind of been doing a big overview of it. <laughs> now we're going to get to where the rubber meets the road. Um, I think it's important that we identify some of the idols like it talks about in Joshua. I mean, the gods of our fathers. What did our, what did our parents worship? What, did, what were they... Um, what, what was their idols? We need to be careful because those could easily become ours. What are the gods of our culture? We need to recognize them because if we don't recognize them, we're not going to be able to defeat them. But, but so often they are so hard to see. I mean, is there anything wrong with saving for retirement? I don't think so. But if that's where my confidence and my security lie, then we've got a problem because that's, a, that's my heart issue. God blesses us with many, many things and he wants us to enjoy those things. But when those things become God, then we've accepted a cheap substitute for what the real thing is. And that's what idolatry is. So, I mean, we can look at a lot of things that are bad and we shouldn't be involved with, but those, for this audience here, most of those aren't really the issue. It's the good things in our life that are good or maybe they're just neutral until we make them where they're not. Jeanette? Pressure, Richard. Because it was just too much for him. So, anyway, you know, I'm 64 years old. Lo and behold, I still have trouble. I still have a hard time not sinning. I don't think it's that much easier, or maybe any easier than when I was 16 and 17. I'm still here. Yeah, I think I think our gods change with age, but Eddie. Talk about the passage Joshua, the gods of our fathers. I'm not strictly speaking about my father necessarily, but thinking about that generation. Seems as though feels as though America might have been to some god or political party was a god. Are you saying back then it's not a problem now? <laughs> yeah. And, and, and I know this sounds horrible, but like the church became the god, not god of the church. Sounds horrible too, but it's almost, I think we mentioned this a week or two ago. The Bible became the God. Right. The Bible is God. Uh huh.
Yeah, I think, I mean. Or a good name. That's, that's, that's the ultimate goal in life. It's not to make a name for God, but to make, it, to make a name and make your mark. So I'll be remembered in history. Yeah. 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 I forgot that one. <laughs> these are all difficult things to think about because it doesn't take me long to start looking at this and find myself guilty and and I don't want that so this, this ends kind of an overview of this I I did about three chapters to tonight so that we get Bob where he needs to be <laughs> for next Wednesday. So there's a, there's a video next Wednesday. It's the God of Food. And it's... The guy in the video is really good. It's probably my second favorite of the videos that, that he does. Uh, the, the guy with money is... He's really exceptional. The way he... And I, and I, think, I think the reason I like... I shouldn't say like both of them. I think the reason both of them speak to me so well is because they're things that I struggle with. And so I hope that, that we can all look at these not as, not as ways to uh, condemn ourselves and think how bad we are, but ways that we can look at it and say, you know, this is not where I want to be. And I don't think any of us want to be blatantly involved in idolatry. But I think if a lot of times our blinders keep us from seeing it. So I'm hoping that this class is going to be helpful in that. So come back next week and hear Bob. And uh, you may want him to teach from now on. I'll just. <laughs> all right. Thank you all for being here. <laughs> hey, I'm Eddie White, the senior minister for the Eastside Church of Christ. Sure want to thank you for joining us today on our podcast. I hope today's message was indeed a blessing to you. I'd like to invite you to browse our website at eastsidesprings.com to get more information or to contact us. And as always, we indeed welcome you to join us for our worship service in Colorado Springs as we seek to live out Jesus' mission of making disciples of all nations.